Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. Well, good morning, good morning. You may be seated. Well, I want to welcome all of my extrovert friends who have gathered with us in person. And I want to welcome all of my introvert, my people, who are gathering with us online. We love you. We are so thankful for you. If you would, would you bow your head as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Father, we thank you for your presence here and now. I thank you for this group of people, this family, that come and gather under this roof, who gather with us in living rooms across this county and across this nation. Father, I ask that in this time together that you will speak to our hearts, that you will reveal to us us those things that you would have us know and do. And Father, through the working and the power and the beauty of your Holy Spirit, may we be transformed. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. When you're up against it, when you're facing things that you would rather not face, where do you run? Where do you go? What do you do? When everything seems to be up and to the right, when there's seasons of celebration, where you see God's handiwork and his favor in every area of your life, where do you run? What do you do? And James does a wonderful job of painting for us what it means to live a life of faithful obedience in a world of compromise, in a world of temptation, in a world of struggle, struggle of trials and struggles of temptations, struggles of conflict and anger, struggles of indifference, struggles of impartiality and faith and in works, struggles of wisdom, of pride and of anger, of conflict, of constantly changing rules and agendas and plans and calendars. James does a marvelous job through his gospel, through his book of revealing to us how we can live a life of faithful obedience. Perhaps one of the most beautiful things that James reveals to us is how we are best to accomplish this. You see, James reveals to us that God's desire is for you and for me to exchange our little kingdom agenda of our own wants, of our own desires, of our feelings, and to instead accept the agenda that God is offering you and I the agenda of bigger things, the agenda of the kingdom of, of God. Because if you're like me, I don't always accept trials 
temptations, struggles, I don't always accept them with joy, with gladness of heart. Oftentimes when I face them, I point the finger of something outside of myself and I place the blame there. Because to think that there's something deep-rooted in me that gravitates towards evil things, towards anger and frustration and bitterness. So if you're like me, I point to the other generation and say that they're just hard-headed. They don't get it. It's just old way of doing things. Or I point to the younger generation and say, they don't get it. They're just indifferent. They're just, they're just lazy. Or I point to my neighbor and say, it can't be me. It's got to be them. Or I point to my children or to my spouse because it's just something hard for us to accept the reality that there's just something in us, something in us, deep-rooted in us. We often think that we are wiser than we really are. We often think that we're more sovereign than we really are. We often think that we would make a better God than the God that we love and the God that we serve if we could control things just a little bit more, if people just understood and thought and acted and believed like, well, like us, everything would be better and things would be best. And James reveals our heart condition throughout his book. And he says that the way that we combat this, the way that we exchange our selfish agendas, our hurt feelings, our victim mentality for that that is bigger, greater, God's agenda, what he points us to, the starting line It's radical, but it's important. So where does James begin? James begins and invites us to begin in prayer. The beautiful thing about prayer is that it reminds us that God loves you, that he is for you, that he draws near to you. And to me in our Seasons of difficulty and doubt and frustration. God, he's still for you. He's still good. He's still sovereign. He's still on the throne. You are loved this morning by your heavenly father. And prayer does that. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll join me in James chapter five, we're gonna pick up in verse 13 and we're gonna read through verse 18. James, the brother of Jesus, writes these words in James chapter 5, verse 13. Are any of you suffering hardships, trials, difficult seasons? If so, you should pray. Are any of you happy on top of the mountain, not in the valley, but just celebrating? Then you should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and to pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. So confess your sins to each other 
and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You see, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and it produces wonderful results. Elijah, he was a human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began, began to yield its crops. So why does James begin with if you are suffering? Why does James begin with if you are going through a difficult season, if you're facing temptation? And it's as we talked about earlier, I think that we can all relate to that. We can all relate to times of difficulty. We can all relate to frustrations. We can all relate to rearranged calendars and rearranged plans. We can all relate to when things and when life and in seasons, when they don't go the way that we thought that they would or that we planned. And what James is reminding us in this moment is in those seasons and during those trials and in those moments of insecurities and struggles and depressions and anxiety and just those seasons you would not choose, God invites you and I to seek him in that moment of trouble. Why? Because he is good and he is present. And prayer has the amazing ability to remind us of that, even during seasons of difficulty, even in those moments, because we all need to recognize that God is sovereign, that God is powerful, that God is present, that God is loving, and that God is merciful, and that God is full of grace and prayer is the key that unlocks the door of that. When we pray, we are warring for our souls. When we pray, we are entering into a battle of spiritual warfare, not against that of flesh and blood, but instead against the enemy and all the temptation and all the chaos that he causes around us. You see, prayer reminds us, because we've all struggled with this, hadn't we? Let's just be honest. When we're facing difficult seasons, we've asked the question, we've had the thought, perhaps God really isn't in control. Perhaps God really doesn't have that power. Maybe God is indifferent. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God's not near and prayer reminds us, it fulfills in us, it recalibrates you and I to the promises of God that is extended and that is offered to each and every one of us. Promises like that God, he will actually put back together the brokenness of your heart, that in seasons of trouble, that he is not a God that stands on the other side of our valley and waits for us to pass through. Instead, he joins us in the valley and he walks with us near every step of the way. And when we are tired and when we are weary and when we are questioning and when we are riddled with doubt and insecurity, 
He speaks over us. You're my son. You're my daughter. Because we've all asked the question, does God really care? And prayer reminds us that he does. Prayer reminds us that he is a God who stands on the doorstep of heaven, waiting to embrace his children as they return. That he asks us and invites you and I to seek him. And when we seek him, there we will find help. You see, there is no radical, more radical act in our journey of faith than that of prayer to take the things that we care about the most that are closest to our heart and to place them and to find rest in the certainty that something that we cannot see, that we cannot touch, that we cannot feel, that he will take them and he will work them for our good. You see, prayer is less about changing the mind of God and is about believing in his sovereignty, that he knows better, that he is wiser, that he is better than we could possibly ever imagine. So the question that I ask in regard to prayer is, are you trusting him? Do you trust him? Do you believe he is good and that he is present and that he is near? When you offer up a prayer, do you find rest in the reality that it has been heard and because of his perfect will, it will be answered in perfection? Maybe not the way that we want, maybe not the way that we had prayed. Listen, I officiated a a funeral of a 36-year-old mom of two sixth graders this week. And make no mistake about it, I had prayed as long as well as hundreds of other people that God would heal her from this disease, from this sickness, from this illness. We had prayed for years that God would bring healing. And he answered that prayer. He was faithful. He was good. He answered the prayer, but not the way that I had prayed it, and not the way that hundreds of others had prayed it. You see, he healed this 36-year-old mother through the life and through the death and the burial and the resurrection. She is whole, and she is healthy, and she is better today than she's ever been. And I believe that. And oftentimes when we pray, God answers the prayer. It just may not be the answer and the way that we would choose. So do you trust him as we examine our hearts, as we examine our lives, as we put our own selfish agendas on the table before a righteous, sovereign, and holy God? Do you truly believe and know that he knows best? and that he is working it out for our good. James goes on to write, if anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. Why run to God when we are cheerful? Because every good gift is given by the hand of the Father. It is not by your wisdom, by your strategy, 
It's not by your natural talent. It's not by your smartness or your own strength. Every good gift is given from above. And we all experience those seasons. As much as the snow sometimes is a frustration, you can't help but look at it and be reminded of the beauty and the handiwork of God. And as I was pulling my daughters around in a sled yesterday, I was worn out and tired and thinking, what was I thinking being 42 and starting over with a newborn? But you know what? I look at the smile on her face and I am reminded of the goodness of God. Every good thing that you experience in life, sunrises and sunsets, snow falls and thunderstorms, everything good comes from God. And it would be proper and wise and good for us to recalibrate our lives and be reminded those things that fill our hearts and our lives like the laughing of children, the smile of a spouse, the warm embrace of a friend, of a neighbor, of the things of beauty throughout. Those are all gifts of God reminding us that he is near, that he is good, and that he is for us. James goes on to write, because every good and perfect gift comes from above. You see, it is undeserved, but it is freely given. God welcomes us in the seasons of trouble to pray and to embrace him. But in seasons of joys and celebration, he says, listen, sing praises. So he invites us, no matter what you are going through, to his presence, to his person. And then James goes on to write, if anyone among you are sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if anyone has committed sins, He will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Once again, God is revealing his goodness, his blessing, his gift. He is saying that if you are struggling with sickness, if you are struggling in trial, you call upon the elders. God has equipped, he has called, He is anointed and he has blessed elders in this congregation so that when we go through seasons of sickness and difficulty, they serve to be a reminder of the hands and feet of God. In other words, James is reminding you and I in this moment that we do not have to go through difficult seasons of life alone. There is nothing magical, nothing special about the anointing oil. It is just, once again, a reminder. The aroma serves as for the purpose of reminding us of God's presence, that he is near. And once again, it is not some kind of magical vending machine where if we follow these instructions that we will be healed. Sometimes healing does not come in the form that we would choose. 
but for all of us who have placed our faith in Christ Jesus and made him Lord of our lives. Healing is promised and healing is our reward here on earth or in heaven. So elders, they are just simply a reminder that you don't have to do life alone. You were hardwired to live and to be into community. And that's why James says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if he has committed sins and he will be forgiven because healing comes in community, healing comes through inviting people around us, healing comes through the accountability through the collaborative wisdom of neighbor and friend and fellowship, but the forgiveness of sins, that only comes through God and through God alone. And God is always faithful to forgive those who are repentive, who are humble of heart. In verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Who knows you? Not that, all right, this guy is married to this woman and and that group of kids belongs to this family. Who really, really knows you? Who knows your heart? Who knows your dreams? Who knows your wounds and your hurts? Who in your life have you invited in to know you so that you may be healed. Some of you have prayed for healing from God for an emotional wound, from a broken relationship, from from an abusive past. And God all along, he is providing the antidote. He is providing the solution, but you have to be vulnerable. You have to invite healing of community into your heart and into your life. So once again, who knows you? Who really, really knows you? James goes on. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain here on earth. And then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore fruit. We all know Elijah. We actually did a series several months ago about Elijah. And when you think about Elijah, when you hear the name Elijah, you think what? He was a great prophet. He was a powerful communicator. He was a man of great faith. And then we think to ourselves, I mean, God was faithful to Elijah. He answered Elijah's prayer and plea, but I'm no Elijah. And then we hear those words that James remind us that he was a man just like you and just like me. He was just a normal man. And we're reminded of the true story of Elijah, that yeah, he was a man of great courage, but he also faced and struggled with suicidal thoughts. He also was fearful and he was also scared. And he also fled and ran away from the call of God many times in his life. We think that Elijah was a man of great courage and great strength, and it's true, but he also 
struggled with great depression. And when we think about that, we actually have a lot more in common with Elijah than what we want to admit. You see, Elijah was nothing special except for the fact that God was present with him and God used his life in a powerful way, just like he wants to use your life and my life. And the thing that Elijah was courageous about doing is that he placed his agenda, his desires, his wants on the altar, and he sacrificed them there. But he didn't just simply leave it there. He allowed it to be transformed into a bigger agenda, into a kingdom agenda, into God's agenda. And then he boldly took that up. And then lastly, prayer is the greatest argument for Jesus. It is a reminder that he is good, that he is sufficient, and that he is present, that he is capable. Prayer reveals what we really place our trust in. So in closing, I'll ask you the question, what are you praying for? How are you praying? Are you praying in a way that reveals your trust, your security, your certainty, and the reality of a good and a sovereign God? When you pray, Do you pray in a way that you literally feel that God hears, that you are touching heaven in some way, shape, or form? When you pray, are you trusting in the goodness, in the sovereignty, in the wisdom, in the beauty, in the majesty, in the sufficiency of God? If you would, would you bow your head as we go to the Lord in prayer? Father God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. God, we thank you for sunrises and for sunsets. We thank you for the beauty of winter and the joy of spring fun of summer. Father, we thank you for the the blossoming of the flower, for the chirping of the bird, for the laughter of children. Father, we thank you for the embrace of friends and family. Because God, each and every one of those things are a reminder of your presence, of your nearness. Father, we thank you for the trials and the struggles that we go through because we know that it is producing perseverance in us and through us. And Father, we repent of the times that we think that we know better We ask forgiveness for the seasons that we think that we are wiser than we really are, that we are more capable, that we are stronger than we really are. And Father, we reveal our heart's desire and that is complete and utter and whole dependence on you and you alone. 
Father, we thank you for the life of our heroes, those lives like Elijah. And Father, we ask for forgiveness and we repent of those moments that we put them in categories other than just normal people like you and I. So Father, may we walk with courage and boldness and certainty and favor because of who you are and because of who we are to you. Father, we do pray for those individuals who emotionally, relationally, physically are experiencing some form of sickness today. And Father, we pray for healing. Father, we also acknowledge The healing doesn't always come in the way that we would choose or the way that we would want. And Father, we are reminded in those seasons of disappointment, in those seasons of frustration, that you are still God, that you are still King, that you are still sovereign over all things. And God, thank you for, thank you for your son, for sending him so that for all people who place their faith and call him Lord and accept him as savior, they too shall be saved. And Father, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice this morning that has yet to make that decision, may today be the day of their salvation. May they confess you as Lord and Savior and may they believe that you are who you say you are and that your promises are good and that your promises are for them. So God, have your way in us and through us and with us. And Father, will you strengthen our faith in prayer so that we can be more like you. It's in your name we pray and all God's people say, amen. Would you please stand to your feet as we close in worship? Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.